Chapter Seventeen of the Mystery of the Four Fingers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Four Fingers by Fred M. White. Chapter Seventeen. Merton Grange. Vera came down a few minutes later, ready for her journey. Now that she had had time to think matters over, she was looking forward with some dread to her forthcoming interview with Mark Fenwick. Surely something out of the common must have taken place, or he would never have sent for her at such an extraordinary time. And Vera had always one thing to contend with. She had not forgotten, in fact she could not forget, that for the last three years she had been engaged in plotting steadily against the man by whose name she was known. Moreover, she was not in the least blind to Fenwick's astuteness, and there was always the unpleasant feeling that he might be playing with her. She had always loathed and detested this man from the bottom of her soul. There were times when she doubted whether or not he was a relation of hers. As far as Vera knew, he was supposed to be her mother's half-brother, and so much as this she owed the man. He had come to her at the time when she was nearly destitute, and in no position to turn her back on his advances. That it suited Fenwick to have a well-bred and graceful girl about him, she knew perfectly well. But long before would she have left him, only she was quite certain that Fenwick was at the bottom of the dreadful business which had resulted in Beth's deplorable state of mind. But as to all this, Vera could say nothing at the moment. All she had to do now was to guard herself against a surprise on the part of Fenwick. She had been startled by the mere suggestion on the part of her companion that she had not been alone at the Great Empire Hotel. Much as she would have liked illumination on this point, she had the prudence to say nothing. Silently she stepped into the car, a big Mercedes with great glaring eyes. Silently, too, she was borne along the empty streets. It wanted yet three hours to daylight, and Vera asked how long they would be in reaching their destination. Her companion put on speed once the outskirts of town were reached. Vera could feel the cold air streaming past her face like a touch of ice. "'Oh, about an hour and a half,' the driver said carelessly. "'I suppose it's about fifty-five miles.' With these big lamps and these clear roads, we'll just fly along. The speaker touched a lever, and the car seemed to jump over the smooth roads. The hedges and houses flew by, and the whole earth seemed to vibrate to the roar and rattle of the car. It was Vera's first experience of anything like racing, and she held her breath in terror. "'What would happen if a wheel gave way?' she asked. She had muffled her face in her veil, so that she could breathe more freely now. "'Surely a pace like this is dangerous.' "'You have to take risks, miss,' the driver said coolly. "'We are moving at about five and forty miles an hour now. I'm very sorry if it makes you nervous, but my instructions were to get back as quickly as possible.' "'I don't feel exactly nervous,' Vera said. "'Oh, no, you're getting over it. Everybody does after the first few moments. When you get used to the motion, you will like it. It gives you a feeling like a glass of champagne when you're tired.' You'll see for yourself presently. Surely enough, Vera did see for herself presently. As the feeling of timidity and unfamiliarity wore off, she began to be conscious of a glow in her blood, as if she were breathing some pure mountain air. The breeze fairly sang past her ears. The car ran more smoothly now, with nothing to check its movement, and Vera could have sung aloud for the very joy of living. She began to understand the vivid pleasure of motoring. She could even make an excuse for those who travelled the high roads at top speed. Long before she had reached her destination, she had forgotten everything else beside the pure delight of that trip in the dark. 
"'Here we are, miss,' the driver said at length, as he turned in through a pair of huge iron gates. "'It's about a mile up the avenue to the house, but you can see the lights in front of you.' "'Have we really come all that way in this short time?' Vera asked. "'It only seems about ten minutes since we started.' The driver made no reply, and Vera had little time to look curiously about her. So far as she could judge, they were in a large park, filled with magnificent oak trees. Here and there through the gloom she seemed to see shadowy figures flitting, and these she assumed to be deer. On each side of the avenue rose a noble line of elm-trees, beyond which were the gardens. Then a series of terraces, culminating in a fine house of the late Tudor period. Beyond question, it was a fine old family mansion in which Fenwick had taken up his quarters for the present. "'What do you call the place?' Vera asked. "'This is Merton Grange, miss,' the driver explained. "'It belongs to Lord somebody or another. I forget his name. Anyway, he has had to let the house for a time and go abroad. You had better get out here, and I'll take the car to the garage. I wouldn't ring the bell if I were you, miss. I just walk straight into the house. You'll find the door open, and the governor ready to receive you. He is sure to have heard the car coming up the drive.' Vera descended and walked up the flight of steps which led to a noble portico. Here was a great massive oak door, which looked as if it required the strength of a strong man to open it, but it yielded to Vera's touch, and a moment later she was standing in the great hall. Tired as she was and frightened as she was feeling now, she could not but admire the beauty and symmetry of the place. Like most historic mansions of today, the place had been fitted with electric light, and a soft, illuminating flood of it filled the hall. It was a magnificent oak-panelled apartment, filled with old armour and trophies, and lined with portraits of the owner's ancestors. It seemed to Vera that anybody might be happy here. It also seemed strange to her that a man of Fenwick's type should choose a place like this for his habitation. She was destined to know later what Fenwick had in his mind when he came here. Vera's meditations were cut short by the appearance of the man himself. To her surprise, she noted that he was dressed in some blue material, just like an engineer on board ship. His hands were grimy, too, as if he had been indulging in some mechanical work. He nodded curtly to the girl. "'So you've come at last,' he said. "'I dare say you wonder why I sent for you. There's a little room at the back yonder, behind the drawing-room, that I've turned into a study. Go in there and wait for me, and I'll come to you as soon as I've washed my hands. I hope you have brought all you want with you.' for there is precious little accommodation for your sex here at present. You can take your choice of bedrooms. There are enough of these and to spare. I have something serious to say to you. With a sinking at her heart, Vera passed into the little room that Fenwick had pointed out to her. At any other time she would have admired the old furniture and the elegant refined simplicity of it all. Now she had other things to think of. She stood warming her hands at the fire till Fenwick came in and carefully closed the door behind him. "'Now we can get to business,' he said. "'I dare say you wonder why I sent for you, instead of leaving you in London for the present. Up to now I have always regarded you as perfectly safe. Indeed, I thought you were sufficiently grateful to me for all my kindness to you. I find I am mistaken.' Vera looked up with a challenge in her eyes. She knew that she had something to face now, and she meant to see it through without showing the white feather. She was braced up and ready, now that the moment for action had come. "'Have you ever really been kind to me?' she challenged. "'I mean, have you really been kind to me for my own sake, and out of pure good nature? I very much doubt it.' "'This is your gratitude,' 
Fenwick sneered. "'I think we had better understand one another.' "'I would give a great deal to understand you,' the girl said boldly. "'But we are wasting time fencing here like this, and I am very tired. You sent for me at this extraordinary hour, and I came. I have every right to know why you asked me to come here.' "'Sit down,' Fenwick growled. "'I sent for you, because I did not trust you. I sent for you, because you have betrayed your promise. You are doing something that you told me you would not do.' "'And what is that?' Vera asked. "'Just as if you did not know. Let us go back a bit. Back three years and a half ago. Your father was alive in those days. It was just before he met his death in Mexico.' "'I remember perfectly well,' Vera said quietly. "'I am not likely to forget the time. Pray continue.' "'Have patience, please. I am coming to it all in time. Your father died more or less mysteriously, but there is not a shadow of a doubt that he was murdered. Nobody knows how he was murdered.' but a good many people behind the scenes can guess why. The thing was hushed up, possibly because the tragedy took place in so remote a corner of the world, possibly because the authorities were bribed. Tell me the name of the man, or, at least, tell me the name of the one man who was with your father at the time of his death. Vera's face paled slightly, but she kept her eyes steadily fixed on her companion's face. She began to understand where the point of the torture was coming in. "'I will not affect to misunderstand you,' she said. The man who was with my father at that time was Mr. Charles Evors. He was a sort of pupil of my father's, and had more than once accompanied him on his excursions. You want to insinuate that my father met his death at the hands of this young man, who, overcome by certain temptation, and a desire to obtain the secret of the forefinger mine, murdered his master? I am in a position to prove it, Fenwick said sternly. I have given you practical proof of it more than once. Why should I have interfered in the way I did, unless it was that I desired to save you pain? I could have brought the whole thing into the light of day, but I refrained from doing so, because it seemed to me nothing could be gained by bringing the criminal to justice. I had another reason, too, as you know. Yes, I am aware of that, Vera said. I could never quite make it out. I could never really believe that Charles Evors was guilty of that dreadful crime. He was so frank and true, so kind to everybody. I know he was weak. I know that he had been sent away from England because he had fallen into bad company. I know, too, that he was a little fond of drink. There was only one point on which he was reticent. He never spoke much about his people, but I rather gathered that they were in a high position. They were, Fenwick grinned. You'd be surprised if you knew how high a position. But go on. I was saying that I could not credit Charles Evors with such a crime. A man who is so fond of children, so sympathetic to things weaker than himself, could not have taken the life of a fellow creature. He was fond of my father, too. But that was not the strangest feature of the mystery. Do you suppose for a moment that the man who was engaged to be married to my sister would have laid violent hands on her father? But he did do it, Fenwick cried impatiently. Otherwise, why did he vanish so mysteriously? Why did he go away and leave us to infer that he had perished at sea? It was the kindest thing we could do to let your sister think that her lover was dead, though the shock seems to have deprived her of her reason. And though I acted all for the best, your brother chose to proclaim me an abandoned scoundrel, and to say that your father's death lay at my door. You know why it became necessary for you to remain with me, and treat your brother henceforth as a stranger. You volunteered to do it. You volunteered to turn your back on your family and remain with me. Why did you do so? No reply came from Vera's lips. It seemed to her that her safest course lay in silence. 
To her great relief, Fenwick went on without waiting for an answer. "'Now I am coming to my point,' he said. "'You have broken faith with me. Three or four times since we came to England you have seen your brother. You have seen him by stealth. You know all about that strange household in Portsmouth Square, where he chooses to hide himself under the name of Bates. I want to know why it is that you have chosen to break your word with me. I have had you watched to-night, and I have learned all your movements by means of the telephone. You will stay down here during my pleasure. If you fail to do so, or if you try to deceive me again, as sure as I stand here at the present moment, I will betray Charles Evors into the hands of the police. Now look me in the face, and answer my question truthfully. Do you know where that young man is? It was fortunate for Vera that she could reply in the negative. A few more hours, perhaps, and she might have been able to afford the information. But, luckily for her, the startling events that had recently taken place in Portsmouth Square were not known to her in their entirety. She could look Fenwick in the face. "'I don't,' she said. "'I have never seen him since that fateful morning. But I don't care to go into that. I admit that I have seen my brother. I admit, too, that I have seen my sister. The temptation to find them, and to see them once more, was much too strong for me. You will not be surprised to find that I have some natural feelings left. It is not so very extraordinary.' Fenwick shot a suspicious glance at Vera, but she was gazing into the fire with a thoughtful look. She was acting her part splendidly. She was deceiving this man, who, as a rule, could read the thoughts of most people. "'Perhaps you are right,' he said doubtfully. "'But to make assurance doubly sure, you are going to help me out of a difficulty. I suppose you have not forgotten Felix Zary?' "'No,' Vera said in a curiously low voice. I have not forgotten my father's faithful companion. I should very much like to see him again. If you know where he is— Oh, I know where he is, Fenwick said with a laugh. We will have him down here as a pleasant surprise. That is all I want you to do. I want you to write a letter to Zary, telling him that you are in great trouble, and asking him to come down here and see you at once. I should like you to write that letter now. End of chapter 17